Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective family. Uh, Since my wife stole my line this morning, all I will say is hi. Uh, I hope your week's been full of meaningful moments. Uh, Work, family, friends, faith. Uh, Meaning comes in so many different ways, and I hope that you've had an opportunity to experience that this week. Uh, Today. Today is week four of our series through the book of Exodus. Hard to believe, but if you have missed a couple of the weeks, you can always check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or your favorite podcast platform. Lots of ways to stay up to date. Today and next week, we are going back to the book of Exodus to finish up our series. And last time we were uh, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites had just cheated on their brand new covenant relationship with God by creating and worshiping a golden calf. Now, God is angry with them, and he's about to deliver some devastating news. And this is what he says, that they can have whatever they want, but without God himself, without God's special presence with them as a people. Now, here's the thing. I am a follower of Jesus, and therefore everything I think about God and about life is through the lens of Jesus and the scriptures. But here we have to understand that the Bible is first and foremost a story, and it's a story about God, and we often want to make it a story about ourselves, about how we get ahead in life, about how we build our financial profiles, about how we have better sex or just are happier, and we we start to think about all sorts of quote-unquote success principles in the Bible, but honestly, that's not just what the story is about. If you strip the Bible down to the core, it's a story about God and about how we as people relate to God. The people of Israel are this fascinating case study of what humanity's relationship with God goes through, the ups and downs, the tumultuous nature of life. And in the story, there are climactic moments when the door swings open and often it's on a mountain and we get a compelling but yet at times terrifying vision of who God is and it overwhelms our senses. But we need to see exactly that. And this week... We are looking at Exodus 33, where we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between Moses and God. So as we begin, let's lean in and be prepared to ask questions of ourselves. This isn't a message for the person next to you or for someone else to hear. This is for you. This is for me. This is your relationship with who God is and why that matters that we're wrestling with today. So let's read together, starting in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? 
And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the, a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here ends the reading. Thank you to our facilitators and to Megan and Jen here online for leading us in that reading. So here we are in Exodus chapter 33, and Moses is asking for God to go with the Israelites every step of the way. And we read that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And at one point, Moses goes as far to ask, now show me your glory. And we will get to this line, but everything leading up to it is fascinating because God is not happy with Israel. But despite everything that's taken place, God is willing to keep his side of the promise. And earlier in the chapter, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 3, this is what God says. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. But I won't go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. This is a big moment. This is not what the people of Israel would have expected. But yet, despite their disobedience and the evident divine frustration taking place, God is giving them what he had promised and what they had wanted. And in turn, I think we're left with this question. If you could have everything you wanted, would you take it? I think we all had something that we thought was the best thing in the world growing up, even when it likely wasn't. And if your mom or dad had said you could have all of that said thing, you would have been likely A, shocked, and B, ready to take it all. Now, growing up in the Charles household, it was a treat when there were fruit snacks in the house. And if they were there, they didn't last long. There was a variety of reasons why they were enjoyable. They were sweet. That's number one. Number two, uh, they felt healthy. They had the word fruit in it, and they sometimes said natural flavors in the packaging, and you could take it with you. You could eat it at home. You could eat it at school. You could savor it. You could eat it quickly. Man, I love these fruit snacks, and a couple in particular were all I ever wanted, gushers and fruit roll-ups. If those still exist, shout out to them. I, I so love those in my home, and you think about it, and think about how you're going to get it, and how good it's going to be when you get it. Now, I want you to put this idea, this feeling, to everything you have ever wanted. And imagine for a moment that God is offering to give you whatever you want. You can have the husband or the wife or the kids you always wanted. You can have the house, business, and career too. The money, the recognition, the fame. And the blessing doesn't even stop with you. All the people who are your people, your squad, your crew, they get it too. You are Oprah on steroids. And now as I say this, I think it's a funny message picture but I'm gonna continue anyways everyone is getting the goods it is Christmas morning Easter egg hunting Thanksgiving dinner Valentine's Day candy and New Year's fireworks all all day every day wrapped up into one everything that you wanted is yours 
Heck, even we as a church can all have whatever we wanted and everyone around us will love us. Wouldn't you want God to give you this? But there's a catch. There always seems to be a catch. Each and every one of us can have exactly what we want, but without God. And in this scenario, God is offering us two options. Everything but Him or Him alone. Which one would you take? Would you take everything but God or nothing but God? And the response of the people is is interesting. They mourn, and when we get to Moses' response later, we see his heart, and then Moses asks to see his glory. It's it's his response in that moment. He wants to see his glory, and this idea of glory is a foreign idea to to us today. We don't really use that language. And in ancient Hebrew, to speak of God's glory was to speak of his presence and his beauty. Moses is asking to see God for who he really is, to see God in person. For Moses' head knowledge isn't enough. He wants to experience God. He wants to get in the glory. At this point in our journey, Moses knows about God. He's even seeing God at work. But there's a craving for more in his heart. And this is important for us to comprehend today. That to crave, to experience, and really know God. This is in Moses. And it is a feeling that is reciprocated by God today. In fact, the purpose of Exodus is a rescue story. God is rescuing his people so God can be with and among them. This is what God's presence is. God plans to dwell among his people through a tabernacle, a special tent, where he will be among the nation of Israel. It was a rescue for relationship. He will be their God and they will be his people. That's that's Exodus 6 verse 7. And this is why Exodus 33 to 34, uh, they're placed right between two very important sections. Exodus 25 to 31 are instructions for the tabernacle. And Exodus 35 to 40, the people build the tabernacle. It's arranged this way to tell us that everything hinges on God's presence dwelling with his people at the tabernacle. And now, that's at risk. What is uh, being presented throughout the Bible, and even here in this moment, is our craving for so much other than God in our lives, but ultimately the lack of fulfillment that that leads to. Sure, we can build our golden calves and create moments of ecstasy, but what kind of fulfillment is there really at the end of it? We crave the marriage ceremony, but we don't think often enough about being married. We crave notoriety, but we don't think often enough about the responsibility. We crave this relationship and friendship and companionship. We don't think about the self-sacrifice that is needed for healthy ones. There are deep cravings that are within all of us, and God and His great love for the world allows us to pursue that which we desire, but the consequences of some of our cravings costs us that which we need. God with us. And if we're being honest, we should be honest this morning, we often would answer yes to that question, to getting everything that we wanted, because we don't really know who God is. And if we don't know who God is, then why would we think that God being with us has any significance or any value? For those of us who live in the West, uh, we, we tend to think 
of God in the categories of philosophy. We pick up a book about God and it outlines how God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, that he's omniscient, he's, he's all-knowing, that he's omnipresent, he's, he's everywhere at once. And I believe all of that to be true, but here is my, my, my beef with this. He's, here's my hang-up, that when God describes himself, he doesn't start with how powerful he is. He doesn't start with how he knows everything there is to know, and he definitely doesn't start with how he's been around since before time and space. All true, but God But for God, it's not the most important thing. When God describes himself to humanity, when he comes to Moses, he starts with his name and then he explains his character. After Moses prompts to see God, show me your glory, God agrees to show his back. And in verses, uh, chapter 34, verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Which makes sense. Starting with those wide spanning images of who he is, is kind of like somebody asking me about my wife and saying, well, and me saying, well, she's 29, five foot eight, blonde, Blonde hair, brown eyes, Russian-Croatian descent, that's all true. But if you sat there as I was speaking about my wife, eventually you would have either just walk away awkwardly or interrupt me and ask, yes, but what is she like? Tell me about her. What's her personality? What is she passionate about? What made you fall in love with her? What makes her her? And that's why this passage in Exodus is such a breath of fresh air. Because I think it leads us to know what makes God, God. For myself, when I read this, it impacts my thinking around that question I asked at the beginning. That if I could have everything I ever wanted, but without God, would I take it? Well, if if God is compassion, I want that in my life. If God is an abundance of love and faithfulness, I definitely want that. So City Collective, so often we don't include God in our lives because we don't truly believe that the presence of God, being close to God, being in the glory of God, knowing who God is actually is of any real value in our lives. But I would contend that it is because we still hold a view of God as something far and distant and not someone walking alongside us in our wilderness. And when we take a step back and we think about who God is and what that means for, for us who, uh, and what that means for who we are and how it has the potential to, to reshape our lives from the ground up, well, that will perhaps begin to change the answer that we would have previously given. This interaction on the mountain is loaded with meaning for us today. God has a name and characteristics. Uh, he's a relational being, not an, inter, not an impersonal energy force or a chapter in a book, a, a relational being that wants to relate to people like you and me, and he wants to know and be known. And often you'll hear me talk about this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. But this is so much more than a nice line said on repeat. Look, look at how uh, Moses and God had conversations. They had them as friends, 
as what could be translated in the Hebrew as neighbors. I almost think of two neighbors chatting on either side of a fence like the guys from Home Improvement, the, the show in the 90s, or they're chatting on their, either side, one guy's face is hidden, you get some gold nuggets every once in a while, they're chatting away, they're friends, they're neighbors. And on this mountaintop, God is expressing frustration. Moses is listening and he's responding. And then Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, you, me, mountain, tomorrow, let's go. And this is in many ways uncomfortable. Because it doesn't feel like how we would picture a conversation with God. In this scenario, there is pliability. There's some give and take. It sounds almost like they're equals, but they aren't. But this is what is so striking that there are moments in the Exodus story where you might find it difficult as God seems to express real emotion and frustration even to Moses. Theologian Jerry Brashears, he says, this is God processing his feelings with a human partner. And I love this because this isn't some deity pie in the sky. This is a person with feelings and Moses is processing with God. In our text, God feels done with Israel and Moses makes a plea on the behalf of Israel. And then God shifts. That doesn't mean that God was in sin or doing anything wrong, but rather that God was moved emotionally. And in the original language, there is a change of mind that takes place for God here and at other points of this Exodus story. Why does this matter? Because This is a presentation of a God who responds. And this communicates again that this is a relationship that I want and I need in my life with one who has beautifully created who we are and is open to our ideas, one who is involved in our lives but not automating every moment. God is more a friend than a formula. So often when it comes to religion, it seems to boil down to deciphering a formula to get the life that we want. Something like uh, morality or do nice things plus religious traditions, do the right things, minus sin, don't mess up, equals God's blessing. And that's the formula we seem to live by. So if we're going to put some practical things in that scenario, something like uh, pray in the morning plus go to church minus don't look at porn equals God's blessing. And there are elements that play into that scenario which are true and which are good, but that is not the relationship that God is desiring. As if God is a software program that just requires the right input to get the output we want for our dream life. No, God is relational, dynamic, one who responds, who can be moved, who can be influenced, and this isn't a lower view of God. It's actually a much higher view. The theologian Karl Barth called it the holy mutability of God, meaning that he would be less of a God if he couldn't change his intentions when he wants to, or be open to new ideas from intelligent, creative beings he's in a relationship with. And I would say this, that hardly any of us interact with God in this way. That we read a story about Moses getting God to change his mind and it sounds shocking because it's so far from our own experience. Most people just explain it away. Well, it doesn't actually mean that God changed his mind. But let's look at the story because that's what the language is saying. That, and it just seems like more than we can handle. 
And maybe because our theological system is so adamant that God is sovereign and in control and everything that happens is the will of God, as if there is some invisible blueprint out there behind every event in our life, both good and bad, some secret script that you and I are just living out and we don't dare ask God to deviate from it. But this is this story reveals that God actually responds. Often, when we read these stories about Moses or later in the Bible about guys like David or Paul where there was deep relationship, we end up coming to the conclusion that, well, that was for them and not for me. And in some ways, it almost subverts the story of the Bible to simply be how other people relate to God. But Jesus came. And he lived and he died and he rose from the grave to lead us to the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. One that is now available to everybody. Right before his death, Jesus prayed to the Father and he says this. He says, I have made your name known to them and will continue to make your name known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is Jesus' heart for everyone on the planet, and especially those who place their trust in. That, that, that you and I will know God like he did. And to join Moses in friendship with God. Now think about how this could rewire how you pray. Because a lot of us feel guilty, well, I don't pray enough, I don't enjoy prayer, I don't even think about it sometimes, I kind of dread it when it has to come up, and we sometimes avoid it. I know we can all be in that space, and that's because most of us don't actually pray. Prayer is what happens on this mountaintop. It's brutally honest, it's naked, it's vulnerable, it's when your deepest desires and fears and hopes and dreams pour out of you with no inhibition. It's when you talk to God unedited and you feel safe and heard and loved. It's the kind of relationship, relational exchange you can't get enough of. Dallas Willard, he writes that God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible and replaces it with dead ritual at best. And of course God does not respond to this, because you wouldn't either. Now don't get me wrong, there's a lot of mystery here. Plenty of unanswered questions. How exactly does God's will interact with our will? This idea of sovereignty versus free will, and honestly, I don't have a perfect answer, but I'm sure of this. Prayer is not just going through the motions. And if it becomes that, it stops being what God designed it to be, which is a pathway of relationship with Him. We are not merely 
passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama, but we are active participants with God. Prayer, therefore, is much more than asking God for this or for that, but prayer is drawing into communion with Him and thereby taking our privileged role as His people. That's prayer. And if this take on prayer makes you a little nervous, if it feels too close to the edge, if right now you're thinking, who am I to come to God in that way, then remember that when you come to God, you come in Jesus' name. John Mark Homer, he talks about this phrase, in Jesus' name, that it was never supposed to be a, a tagline that we drop at the end of a prayer to get what we want. To, to pray in Jesus' name means two things. First, it means to pray in line with his character. To pray for the kind of stuff that he wants to see happen in the world. Uh, sure, pray for a new Range Rover or dream vacation to Hawaii and you might get it, but that's not what God was trying to actually lead you towards. The odds are that you will feel let down at some point. But when you pray for healing, when you pray for justice, when you pray for the courage to stand up for your faith, when you pray for the heart that God has for the world to build up the kingdom that is being established before us, well, that is when we can keep our eyes open because this is what Jesus is all about. And secondly, more importantly, to pray in Jesus' name means that whenever we pray, we have the same access to God that Jesus does. One New Testament scholar said it this way, to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing with God. So for those of you thinking, I can't interact, interact with God in this kind of way and, and go back and forth like Moses did, like a friend or a co-worker helping God build out his world. I, I'm no Moses and I'm definitely no Jesus. True. That makes, that makes both of us. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then when you come before God, you are coming in Jesus' name. You are invoking his status with God. You come not as a beggar off the street, but as a royal daughter or son of the Father. And what you find waiting for you is one who wants to relate to you. Do I choose to have everything I ever wanted in life except the presence of God? My answer is no. I choose to be in relationship in the presence of God because God could have chosen to have everything and anything, but instead chose to be in relationship with me, to be in relationship with you. And we don't even have to climb a mountain. All we got to do is open up our mouth to fix our eyes on God who has made himself readily available to us. So in your home, in your dorm, car, hub, wherever you are this morning, whenever you're watching this, invite God's presence right now. Speak to the one who calls you a friend, who has made you his own, who listens and who responds. And ask not out of selfish intent, but out of a longing for meaningful relationship. This is why knowing who God is matters, because to know God is to desire God in and at the center of all things. That to have everything without God is to have nothing. Can we take a moment today and just speak with God as a friend and with trust in God's character? And if you feel so far from who God is, that you haven't felt like you've ever talked to him or haven't talked to him for a long time, know that God is so ready and willing to have a conversation with you today. 
And if you don't feel like you have the right word to speak, I just would invite you to create a moment of stillness wherever you are. Still your mind, avoid a distraction, and just make yourself at peace and listen and start to talk to God, even if it's just in your mind, in your thoughts, from a confidence that God wants to have a relationship with you and God is one who responds. So I'm gonna pray. And if this is something that you are struggling with or feeling in this moment, I would just invite you to allow the words just to really rest upon your heart. So Father, we give you thanks that as we gather here online, your presence is so wanting to be with us. That it's always been this rescue mission for relationship. That you invite us to see your glory. You invite us in to make that same ask that Moses did. To know you. To be in relationship with you. To be in your presence right now in our homes. I pray that our hearts are expanded. Where hardened hearts are, let them be softened. Let us have ears to hear and a willingness to speak honestly and vulnerably to a God who desires to respond. Thank you that you meet us right where we're at. For those who don't have a relationship with you, don't know what that could look like, Father, I pray that there is just an immediate peace that you place upon them and just an openness that you would just give them a taste of what relationship with you looks like. Do what you can do. Lead us forward. Give us the courage to step into new spaces and to invite you alongside us. As we walk through our wilderness in whatever season we are in, I pray that we would just discover your nearness and crave that relationship with you to be in everything, knowing that it is truly what we need and should desire in our life. Thank you for all that you do. Lead us forward. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.